what we've been dealing with in chapter 21, going all the way back to verse number 9, is this scene where John is picturing the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. We spent a little bit of time the last few weeks talking about, you know, who is that new Jerusalem? You know, we could say, well, who will be in heaven or who will be in eternity? Who is that new Jerusalem? And uh, last week we looked at probably one of my favorite sections of scripture uh, over in the book of Romans that helps us see that that new Jerusalem is made up of, of people who've lived both in the Old Testament period of time and the New Testament period of time who have trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, what that looked like and what that meant for people is a little bit different than the New Testament, but it's the same, right? In the Old Testament, we read about people going to the temple and sacrifices being made and the, the different festivals of the year. Every single one of them, along with the, the sacrifices made, when I, when I would go to the temple and a sacrifice would be made, I did not say to myself, oh, that sacrifice is taking away my sin. You know, when the priest lays his hand on the goat and kicks it out into the wilderness on the atonement day, I don't say to myself, that goat is going to save me, right? When a drink offering is poured out, right, by the temple is one of the first movements of the priests in the morning, I don't say, hey, that drink offering will save me. Well, what, what do I say? The goat represents the one who will come, right? The sacrifice represents one that will be made. Because everybody, everybody who, who has faith in the Old Testament is clinging to the promise that was made to Adam and Eve in the garden. I will send my seed and my seed will crush the head of the serpent. A goat isn't going to do it. Drink offering is not going to do it. My servant will do it. Okay? So, so as you go through the Old Testament, Israel is always at its best when they understand that, when they're clinging to the promise of the, of, of the garden and, and awaiting the one who will come. Israel is at its worst when they try to turn, turn the sacrifices themselves into the promise, right? When they trust in the priests or, or when the, the uh, Pharisees turn themselves into little saviors. That's when Israel's at its worst. So in the Old Testament... You know, people ask me, well, people didn't believe in Jesus. How are they going to be saved? I'm like, absolutely, they believed in Jesus. They didn't call him Jesus. They called him Yahshua or Messiah, right? The one who will come. But they absolutely trusted in him. New Testament, now we're looking back. We're looking back at the cross. And we're looking at uh, all of that New Testament evidence that this is the one who fulfills all the promises of the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of that garden promise made to Adam and Eve. So that city coming down, who is it? Who is Israel? It's not just Jews. It's anyone and everybody who trusts in the blood of Jesus Christ, period, right? That's who will be in eternity, okay? Apart from that, contrary to the opinion of our world and our the theological mess of a world that we live in, Buddhists will not be a part of eternity. Islamics will not be a part of eternity. Um, why? They do not trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, I just got, I had, I mean, this week I had this, this, this little email came across the desk of a person who apparently was a, a part of this congregation who ended up marrying a gal and becoming a Mormon. Well, I think to myself, a Mormon? 
They will tell you, oh yeah, we believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah, as a man. But not as a Savior. You will not be in eternity. Okay? So the, the, the focus is for us today on recognizing, all right, eternity really, it, it comes down to, do I trust in the blood of Jesus Christ or I, I trust in someone or something else, including myself? All right, that's that new Jerusalem. So who will be in eternity? Once you get past the who, now you start to look at the, the what. All right, so we're getting a little bit more puzzle pieces in our hands that paint a picture of what, what does eternity look like. And um, if you remember with me, the first, kind of the first puzzle pieces had to do with jewels. And we see these beautiful jewels that are being described here in verses 18 and following. Well, those jewels, it's not like you're going to get into eternity and there's going to be jewels everywhere. You're like, hey, whoa, there's all the jewels. No, the jewels are, are really what? Symbolic language that point to Jesus Christ. What is eternity about? Eternity is about an ongoing, everlasting relationship with your new groom. An intimate relationship with a God who made you for himself, with a Jesus Christ. And so those jewels are pointing to his presence in eternity. Okay? People ask me, you know, what do you look forward to most about heaven? Well, first of all, I'm like, well, what do you mean by heaven? And unfortunately, most people are like, well, heaven's going to be where we live forever. I'm like, no, it's not. Hey, what do I look forward to most about heaven? Well, that it gets over with fast. Because... My soul awaits eternity, new earth, relationship with a God who is fully present in it. That's, that's what I look forward to. And I listen to people, well, I'm, I, when I get into heaven, I'm going to golf all day. I'm like, pure torture. <laughs> I'm like, that's the other place, isn't it? <laughs> now, some of you guys are golfers, I, so I know. But no, we're not. Let's go golfing. And that, no, what, what are we doing in eternity? Who, who, we're present with our with our new spouse, with God. There's an intimacy there, and our lives become about what? Stewarding the new earth, serving him. I see we're going to get a little bit of a picture of, of that. Um, we saw the pearl, right? Um, along with all these different stones, we get to verse 21. The gates of heaven are made of what? A single pearl. And what did we say last week? That pearl represents Jesus Christ. Again, what is heaven going to be like? It's going to be like entering into his presence and a relationship uh, with him. And by the way, yes, the gates are made of a pearl, namely Jesus, because he's the only way in to uh, God's presence. We're going to pick up today with verse 22 and uh, kind of some interesting language in verse 22 that uh, uh, I want to look at with you. And we'll, we'll skip around just a little bit here, but it says... And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of a sun or a moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Okay? A couple of things that, uh, again, are just little puzzle pieces that paint this picture of what and ongoing eternity lived in the presence of God is. First of all is, there, there's no church. How are we going to go to church? 
there is no church, right? This is all, this always kind of this kind of interests me a lot. You know, um, I talk to people, they're like, "Hey, I'm going to go to church." I'm like, "I, I'm not." People, are like, you need you need to go to church. I'm like, "No, nah, I gave it up a long, long time ago." People are like, "Oh, they get really worried about me. They really do." You sit whenever I fly, you don't want to sit next to me on an airplane. You really don't. Some bad news for you. You know. I'll be real stubborn. I'm like, you go to a church, man, you need to stop going to that church. People are like, are you some kind of atheist? No, I'm a preacher. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what kind of preacher are you? I'm like, a terrible one. <laughs> well, the reason, you, the reason I say that is because, no, it's, listen, being a follower of Jesus Christ has never been about going to church. It's never been about that. You know, the Jews, they didn't go to church. They didn't, like, pack up their bags every Sabbath and go to church. They came together as a community, right? They sabbathed together as a community. They didn't go to church. Why? Because church isn't something you can go to in the Bible. Uh, church is what? It's the same thing as this new Jerusalem. It's people who gather together in the name of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, in the apostolic period, you didn't go to church. You were the church, right? And uh, what that looked like was um, not coming to a building and saying, hey, here's the church, but it meant Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays. We, we would gather together. We'd gather together in homes. We'd come over to, to Mike's home. We'd help him irrigate a little bit and feed his cows, and then we'd sit down, and we would uh, maybe eat one of the cows, right? And uh, we would talk about life, and we would talk about what's going on. We'd get ready for the week ahead, because we'd say things like this. Hey, on Wednesday, we're going to go to the temple, and on Friday, we're going to go out into the Agora, the marketplace. We're going to share Jesus Christ. And some people sitting around in Mike's house would say, like, ooh, we're going to do what? We're going to go out there into the community, and we're going to bring the name of Jesus Christ to people. Ooh, can I sign up for something else? Like, I'll serve cookies. I'll paint. So I, I'll, I'll paint. You, you want me to go talk to someone? Yeah, that's because that's what you did. And uh, so Bible study in the early church, guess what the purpose of it was? Preparing you to go and meet with people. Because when you go and you meet with people, they have hard questions. They ask you tough things like, well, how can you prove that Jesus Christ is the Messiah? Based on Isaiah chapter 60, doesn't it say this about the Messiah? And what about this? And you've got to be able to sit there and pull open the Bible and say, okay, here's what this means. That's why they had Bibles. That's what they did with their Bibles. They opened them up. They learned them so they could talk to people about this is who Jesus Christ was. They didn't go to church. And you get into eternity. Guess what? You don't have to go to church. Because you are the church. God is the temple. It is about an ongoing living relationship with him. What we're going to see here in just a couple of minutes is worship isn't done in a church. Worship is done with your life. It's who you are. If somebody asks me, when are you going to worship? I'm like, what are you talking about? I am, I am worshiping. Because the nature of worship is not just listening to or singing or pray. it's all about this relationship that I have in an ongoing way where I see myself as serving God with my very life. My last breath should be a breath of worship. Now I'm not saying that to the exclusion of don't get me wrong, like you guys are gonna be running me out of town like, oh we got a pastor that doesn't believe in church. I don't know what happened. He came from Texas. That's what happened. <laughs> That's what happened. Listen, this gathering is, is, is beautiful. I look forward to this day 
every week and coming together with you being able to dive into the word but you understand what i'm saying is that that it's, it's more than it's, it's not just if this is it no wonder a lot of our millennials are like i don't want to join the church i mean they'll make me they'll put me they'll make me part of the ladies ladies group i have to serve cookies and punch and that's i don't want to do that they're going to they're make me paint some walls they're going to make me i got to give some money i'm not doing it like no wonder millennials are like what is that thing um because they need to see us being the church in their lives on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And when you see that, then you say to yourself, what's that? He goes, how I live. It's how God invites you to live today. And guess what? It gets better in eternity. It gets even better in eternity. And so that's really the picture that we're given is you, you don't go to, to church. Your life is an ongoing life of relationship and worship with the one who is the temple in the new earth. All right. Second thing, and this is kind of interesting to me, notice, notice that there, there is no sun or moon anymore. There's no sun or moon anymore. So if you think about it, when we talk about new earth, we're talking about a recreation. Literally a destruction of what exists now and a, and a recreation, right, of a, of a new physical place where we dwell together with, with God. Okay? What I believe is that when God first created, going all the way back to Genesis, and we'll do that here in a couple of minutes, when God spoke the world into being, before he spoke the world into being, does he know that he will create a creature that will betray him and break his creation. Does he already know that? Yeah, he does. Okay. Why? Because he's God. He's omniscient. The first act of grace in the Bible occurs with these words, in the beginning. Because you have a God who before all of it is, is seeking to, to create not just a planet but a creature who will break his heart and cost him his very life. And he does it anyway. That's how much God loves you. That he knows, I, I will have pain as a result of this. It'll cost me everything. I will do it anyway. I think when God creates the earth and the atmosphere and the, the universe in the first creation, he's creating a world that he knows will be, what? Fallen. Okay? And so... Uh, with the creation of the first earth, there is a sun and there is a moon and there's a very intentional right, way in which God provides life, a source of life for us. Okay? If I took away the sun from our earth today, what would happen to all of us? Instantly die. right? And yet here we are on new earth and there is no sun and there is no moon because he is our ongoing sustenance and provision. You don't need those created objects any longer. He will provide all things. I like to say it this way, while I'm in this fallen earth, what I want to recognize every single day is the very breath that I breathe is a, is a provision of God. In the new earth, what we all recognize is our very being depends upon his being present amongst us because the created sun and moon are taken away and he becomes our light 
This is why I believe as you go through the Old and New Testament, you have numerous references to the presence of light, right? Um, it, it's, if, if, you, if you want to find one of those threads that goes through the Bible, uh, you'll, you'll find numerous places where the scriptures are talking about light, whether it's God is our light or the Word is our light. A couple, of, a couple of examples of this I thought we'd look at today. Psalm 36, David is talking about light. Okay? If you look at that psalm, I'll just see how far. Okay, I'm just going to jump down just a little bit for you. Go down to verse number 7 and just pick up, just pick up there. The first half of this, um, of this psalm really is speaking to the reality of our, our human nature. Okay? And if you look at it, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Apart from being saved, apart from having faith, our human nature is deeply wicked. Okay? Um, I think of this man that uh, just shot these police officers. That's him right there. Deep in his heart, transgression speaks to him. If you were to talk to him five days ago and you would say to him, hey, what do you think about white people? I want to kill them all. So where do you get that from? It's his nature. Transgression is actually speaking to him. Sin is speaking to him. Satan is speaking to him. Satan is saying, kill people. It's good. If you were to say to him, do you actually believe it would be better on planet Earth, if you were to take a rifle and shoot every police officer in America, you say, yes, I do. I think it would be much better. Where does he get that brokenness from? Well, it's right here. There's no fear of God. There's nothing inside of him that says, I fear God. There's just transgression that's speaking to his heart. Verse 2 says he flatters himself at his own eyes. That his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Hey, I'm, I'm going to do this and I'm going I'm to do it and nobody can stop me from doing it. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely in doing God. He plots trouble while on his bed. Yeah, he did. Sets himself in a way that's not good. He does not reject evil. Now, verse 5, a shift takes place. Did God, does God look upon that person and hate them? No. He wants, he wants to seek him out. Your steadfast, O love, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Spirit of God, I, I can tell you this, never stops seeking someone out. Even someone depraved and stuck in their sin, the Spirit is calling us, move away from that, seeking to break us. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. By the way, side note, for every parent in the room. This is, a, this is a question that people will ask. I think, I think, I think if you, a few of our guys in this room know what I'm talking about. Daddy? Our doggy died. Will it be in heaven? You know, well, you want to look really mean? Just say to your kid, nope, that dog's a dog. Has no soul, it's not going to be in heaven, Right? You go right ahead and do that. <laughs> Let me know how it works. <laughs> kind of an interesting thing. It says, man and beast you save, O Lord. Now, um, 
I would not rest on this verse to say, yep, God saves all dogs. Dogs and cats will be part of eternity. Do I think that, that there will be beasts on new earth? Absolutely. Absolutely, I do. But I would not rest on this verse because here what he's talking about is God is sustains both man and beast. He keeps us alive. He is our provision. Verse 7 says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Um, now take a look at this reference. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Okay? Interestingly, these words... For in you, with you, is the fountain of life. In your light we see light are both right here in Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. When we get to chapter 22, guess what we're going to find? A fountain of life. Here in chapter 21, what do we see? We see light in your light. The way we see is through you. The psalmist David is pointing to what? The reality that even now, here in this dark world where human beings are depraved, the way we see light is through the Word of God that comes into us. How do I know what's right and what's wrong? How do I know what's good and what's evil? Through the Word of God. That's my light. In eternity, where evil is no longer, I see light in His light. I see light simply through His presence, through being in His, his presence. So this theme of light is kind of one of those threads that makes its way all the way through uh, Scripture. Flip over in the New Testament to 1 John chapter 1. You see the same kind of thing here in 1 John 1. When John writes 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, by the way, he's old, he's nearing death, and what you've got to love about these three little short epistles is they focus on being in a relationship with God. Go down to the verse number five. It says, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. By the way, there's, there's quite a number of people that I think fit that category. If we say that we, if we, say that we um, have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. We talked about this last week, that there's, I think there's a lot of people who have deceived. One of the great deceptions of Satan have bought into the deception that, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I, I believe in God. I'm gonna, I'll, absolutely, I'll be, I'll be part of heaven. And they're not walking in the light whatsoever. I look at their life and I'm like, you know what? Your, your life has no light in it. It's dark. And uh, that's, that's what John is saying here. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So you can kind of see it both in the Old and the New Testament. We could find multiple passages that grab hold of this idea that all along in Scripture we've been pointing to the, the reality that not only is God light for us in a dark world, but he literally becomes our light source on new earth. Kind of an interesting picture that he gives to us. All right, let me, let me take you back to Revelation. There's kind of an interesting, interesting thought that comes next. So verse 23 says, The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, 
and its light is the Lamb. By This is what I love. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. number of things just stand out to me. By its light will the nations walk. Okay? Um, when we're looking at eternity, again, who do we see present? Um, not, not just... Um, uh, not just the Jews, but what? The, the nations are present. And um, one of the things that, that I've tried to grab hold of in, in the last you know, couple of decades of ministry is this idea that for you and me, we're living in a time where those nations are, are really coming to us here, right here in, in America, Right? Um, about 10 years ago, maybe more, <clears throat> I, I picked up this, this word that's kind of an interesting word. Heard somebody for the first time use it, and they said, hey, in our church, we want, we're very interested in global mission work. Global mission work. And I thought, global? What, what are you talking about, global? Well, you can kind of see it's a composite word, right? It's made up of two words, global and local. All right. And what this church was saying is that for a long time in America, we've, we've kind of thought about missionary work as overseas. You've got to, if I'm going to be a missionary, I go out globally to some other country, right? Well, <clears throat> two things have happened uh, over you know, our lifetime. One is now, and we talked about this last week, now the nations are actually coming to us here in America, right? as we become less and less Christian as a nation. Um, just saw a picture last night on the front cover of our synodical newspaper of two men who are some of the first missionaries being commissioned by our synod to go to the United States. One of them is going out to a place called Ferguson, Missouri. Ring a bell? A lot of hatred, race riots, burning the city, all of that kind of stuff. That's where this guy is being sent. We're saying, you know what? We need a missionary to go there. All right? As a synod right now, we ought to be saying, hey, we need a missionary. We need to send some missionaries to Dallas, Texas. There's a lot of hatred there. Look where all these riots are going on. Send missionaries there. We need the word of God. Why? Because guess what is not going to happen? Our, our politicians aren't going to change this mess. It's not going to happen. The only way you change it is you go into dark places with light. Have I watched this happen? Repeatedly in my life. Do we trust that the Word of God is powerful? Dynamite. Take it into those dark places. So we just commissioned two missionaries as a, as a synodical body to go to the United States of America. Good, because that's what other nations are doing. They're sending people here with the Word of God. We desperately need it, okay? Second thing that's happened, if we pay attention, is a lot of the globe has moved into the United States. That's the term global. If you want to think about where, where do I see the world, take a look around you. Well, guess what? God wants that because he says new earth is going to be that. It's going to be nations of people that come together together. Um, 
and come together in my name and come together to serve me, okay? Is that true for us here, living here in Grand Island, Nebraska? Absolutely, all right? Do we see the globe coming to us right here in, in Grand Island, Nebraska? Absolutely, why? What, what brings a lot of the globe here? Work, right? We go out and we recruit people. So, what was it, a week ago? Man, I lose track of time. I must be getting old. Yeah? So, a week ago, we go out to this uh, mobile home park, and um, somebody taps me on the shoulder and says, Pastor Luke, you better get over here because this guy can't speak any English. I'm like, I'm like all right. So, I go over and I start talking to this guy. Well, guess where he's from? Cuba. He's lived in Grand Island three whole months. So I start talking to him about Cuba. Well, I mean, first thing that comes to my mind, I'm like, are you from Cuba? I'm like, you must like the cigars there. He's like, oh, yeah, we can't get a good cigar here in, in Grand Island. I'm like, yeah, no, you can't get a good cigar here. Yeah, so anyway, after we get past some of that kind of stuff, he starts asking me, he says, where, where are you from? I said, I'm, well, right now, I just, I live right here. And, um, no, 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 what, is this a church? I'm like, this is a church. I said, we're, that's this, this group of people here, we're the, yes, it's a church. What kind of church is it, Lutheran? He goes, what, well, what's a, tell me a little bit about a Lutheran. So I started telling him a little bit about Lutheranism, focus on Jesus Christ. He starts then telling me about Cuba. Guess who is thick and hard at work doing missionary work in Cuba and most of our Latin American countries. Two groups of people, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. His family happened to be influenced dramatically by Jehovah's Witnesses. So our conversation changed. I said, so Jehovah's Witnesses understand Jesus Christ to be a prophet. I said, but if Jesus Christ is a prophet, then I am left in my sins. I will die and go to hell. He stepped back. I said, no, no. Escúcheme con cuidado. Listen to me very carefully. Si Jesucristo solamente es un humano, nosotros son pecados. We're still in our sins. And he's like, so Jesus Christ cannot simply be a prophet. If he's just a prophet, we're all, every single one of us, are going to be in hell. There's only one hope that we have, that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he was. He said, I am the Son of God, incarnate, in the flesh. Come to bear your sins on the cross. I said, as a Christian, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we trust that Jesus Christ took my sin, your sin, on himself. He died for it. You, all you do, you trust him, and you will find salvation. This guy had never heard the gospel before in his entire life. He's got gray hair. And physically, I watched him literally just step back like, <gasps> and this is what he said. Está diciendo solamente Jesús. Are you saying that it's only by Jesus? I said, sí. Solamente de Jesús. Yes, it's only by Jesus Christ. And you could just see it swimming in his head. I asked him, do you have a Bible? I don't have a Bible. I said, let me get you a Bible. We're going to get you a Bible. And uh, we connect him up with uh, Pastor Salvador. 
at Cordero. And I said, Salvador, here's a man that you, I want you to know him, know his family. Serve him, right? Listen to him. Help him understand the Bible because he, in one moment of time, was physically and spiritually set back by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It moved him. It was like the spirit taking hold of a guy, saying to him in that moment, I want, I want to be in your life. I love you. Where, where was that? Grand Island, Nebraska, right? In a mobile home park, local. The nations will come to you. And so when I look at these words, I get really, really excited about what it means to be church together because I really do believe that God has us out here in this community for a purpose and a reason. And it's, it's to reach what? This city, including people from Cuba, right, that come and can't speak a lick of English. And, and I, I am thankful, quite pointedly, to be part of a, a body that says one of the most important things that we can do is get church out of these walls and into this city because there's so many people right now that that's, that psalm we read, that's them. They're stuck in sin and darkness and God says, go bring light to the nations. And so when I read those words, I just get excited by that. The nations will walk in his light and we begin to bring that light to the nations wherever God uh, plants us. Notice, notice it says then, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Kind of strikes me, um, you know, when Solomon built his temple, kind of go back and look at that story uh, in the Old Testament. Do you remember that the kings of the earth brought their glory to the temple? Pagan foreign kings help supply lumber, metal, precious, precious metals, jewels for the building of Solomon's temple. Why did they do it? Okay. Well, if you go back and you take a look at it, what are those kings doing? Those kings are looking at Solomon. What do they see about Solomon that's different from other kings? They see a king who said, I follow the one and only God. And guess what? During Solomon's rule, very hard to argue against that. Because this little tiny place called Israel stands up to any army around it and crushes it to the point that the world is going, whoever is their God, we need to pay attention to that. Most of the kings that supplied lumber, jewels, gold, metals to the building of the temple, you know why they did it? Insurance. We don't want you to come kick our butts, right? And so, absolutely, you're building a temple? Praise your God. We're bringing in some lumber, right? That's why those kings brought it. Here, notice the kings of the earth are bringing their, their glory into the new temple, which is God. What is their glory? It's not metal. It's not jewels. It's not lumber. The glory of these kings is their hearts. We are bringing ourselves and setting our, our crowns down before you because you are our king, right? 
that's what's going on is the nations are, are coming into this kingdom. The kings of the earth, those who have what? Have trusted in Jesus Christ. Lay down their crowns before God and recognize you are the king of kings. And that's the picture that John is, is showing us. Its gates are never shut. What does that mean? Why does a city shut its gates? Keep the enemy out. Guess why there's no shutting of the gates? There's no enemy, right? The enemies have been discarded, and now we have life with God in this presence of God for eternity. The gates are always open, and there is no night there. I'll kind of close with this, this thought. This just struck me while I was reading this uh, again this week. I was thinking, you know, why do humans sleep? You have any evolutionistic friends? I'm like, well, if evolution is true, we shouldn't sleep. Isn't that right? Because you could get a lot more done in 24 hours than you can get done in... Well, as a pastor, I just work one, out, one day a week, so I, so I, <laughs> I got to have no room to talk. But you see what I mean? If you could stay awake 24 hours a day, wouldn't that be to your advantage? Actually, it would be. And I thought, you know what sleep is? A divine gift. A divine gift. First of all, for our broken down bodies in a broken down world. But secondly, just to provide a pause from the pain that comes in this world, God gives us sleep, not in the new earth. In the new earth, no moon, no sun, no sleep. Constant ongoing life with God. Little pieces of a puzzle. Your life begins to look different in eternity. Right? Let's pray. Lord God.